Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you're my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off our enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Those verses 9 to 12 of Psalm 143, which along with Psalm 141, are the psalms appointed for today, Friday, July the 1st, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. You're con- we're continuing our look at um, the book of Numbers. We're in chapter 24 today, the first 13 verses. We're kind of still working through the story of Balaam. Uh, also in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 15 to 22, and then in Romans uh, 8, 12 to 17. So remember what's happened already is, is that Balaam has seen the Israelites camped in the wilderness across from uh, his place of Moab, and he has come to the conclusion that they're there in order to attack him and take his land. So he called this prophet, Balaam, who is a prophet of Baal, not of Yahweh, uh, to come and curse these people. But God intervened, Yahweh did, and told him, you better not speak anything that I don't tell you to speak, lest you die. So twice he has blessed Israel with his uh, prophetic words. He spoke the words that Yahweh put into his mouth. So now Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. He didn't go, as at other times, to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. So he's looking at the people. He's looking at the Israelites there in the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. In other words, he, he's saying that, that I have seen finally. My eyes are open and my ears hear. Now, I, I'm not looking for omens. I'm not going out looking in all these other places for, for you know, little pieces of whatever that, that I might then know something. No, he says, I'm opening my eyes and I'm looking at the blessedness of God's people. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets and his seeds shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag and his kingdom shall be exalted." And so he's seeing the blessedness of God's people and seeing that the blessedness of God's people has everything to do with the presence of God among them. And he has shown this to this um, prophet and, and has now opened his eyes and opened his ears to hear him. When he says his king shall be higher than Agag, Agag was a king of the Amalekites. And there'd be two things that have to do with the Amalekites here that would be higher than. One is the Amalekites were the, were, were the last of the giant clans that were defeated, and they're the ones that Saul was to defeat. And remember, Saul was the tallest guy in Israel at the time. That's the reason he was easy to spot and chosen, was that he was this tall guy. And so his job, the tall guy's job, was to go and eradicate that giant clan, the ones who were the sons of the Nephilim, from days of old. And so he's higher in that way, but he's also going to be higher in the sense that that his kingdom will supersede Agag and the Amalekites. 
God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. Remember, he's already said that in this previous one. He talked about God being the, like the horns of a wild ox. And it's just, you know, you, you didn't mess with the best not mess with the bull lest you get the horns. He, he shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched. He lay down like a lion and like a lioness who will rouse him up. Blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. Now, did he know that God had spoken that word to Abraham, that those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed? Did he know that, or or did he just know that because God revealed it to him here? And after he said this, Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you've blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I'll certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me, if Balak shall give me his house full of silver and gold, I wouldn't be able to go beyond the word of the Lord, to do either good or bad of my own will? What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. So what he didn't say is is, is that my life's on the line here. <laughs> I might have wanted honor when I left home, but on the way here I had an encounter with this angel with a sword, and my donkey spoke to me. And so that kind of changed my mind about what I was going to do when I came here. So he knew. He knew. And he, didn't, he doesn't seem to have told Balak what happened along the way. He, he, he's pretending a certain kind of piety and righteousness here that um, doesn't really befit him. And, and it's odd because you read these prophecies of Balaam and all that, and you think, you know, he should be somebody who's revered in, in Israel but he's not. He's not at all because he's the one who ultimately gives the advice to the king. Well, if you want to subvert them, send our women among them and corrupt their morals and corrupt their religious practices. So in the gospel today, remember Jesus has gone down and and he is in Jerusalem in the last week of his life and he's teaching there and, and he's got the opposition of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the elders, all those people are arrayed against him. And because he, the people are going out after him and they see this. And so, you know, I, I read or heard actually somebody, I heard somebody talking yesterday on a podcast that I was listening to, talking about is, is Jesus sort of the meek and mild or did he confront things? You know, is it wrong for, for us to, to be outspoken and to call people out? Well, Jesus, the, the, in, in these passages we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks in Matthew, you're going to see a Jesus that who, who didn't have a problem calling people out or calling them names either. He says the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Well, good luck with that. I mean, the, the, they thought that they were better at this stuff than him. And, and they thought, oh, okay, we'll trip him up. The, the, again, it just proves they had no earthly idea who he was. That It shows who they thought he was. But it, it, they can't possibly think they're going to entangle Jesus, trip him up in his words. When they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, and, and it's an, that's an interesting pairing right there, by the way, the Pharisees and the Herodians. This is the only thing who could have brought them together would have been Jesus. Because the, the Herodians, in the Pharisees' eyes, were the most compromised people in Judaism. Because what they had done was they had made their peace. With Herod, and, and they found they they said, "Oh, okay, we can." They were very worldly Jews, in, in essence. They they no longer really bore much um, witness to Judaism, and the Herodians would would have been perfectly fine with 
paying taxes to Caesar, while in Judaism, recognizing another king is a problem because there's only one king, which makes the saddest words you'll ever hear from the Jewish people. We have no king but Caesar. And here, Pharisees and Herodians go down to ask Jesus this question. Teacher, we know that you're true and teach the word of, way of God truthfully. Well, flattery is always a good play to start, right? And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. Flattery, flattery, flattery. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And these two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, would have had completely different opinions about the answer to that question, whether it's lawful under Jewish law to pay taxes to Caesar or not. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, which is a Roman coin. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is in line with, his answer here is in line with the uh, parables that we've looked at over the last three days. Because what Jesus is accusing them of over these last three days in these parables is to say that you're withholding from God what is rightly his. He planted a vineyard. Remember that story? He planted a vineyard, and he said this is, um, and let it out to tenants. And the tenants claimed it as their own. They refused to pay him the, the, uh, the rents that were due to them. Then the story of the man asking his sons to go out and work in the vineyard. And one said, I'll go and didn't. The other said, I won't go and did. It's those same exact things. It's the same point. Because what Jesus is saying is that coin belongs to Caesar. And the proof is is his inscription and likeness is on it. And then so render unto God what the things that are God's. What are those things? The things that bear his image and likeness and inscription. And that would be us. And so it's all the same. You're not giving to the Lord what is truly His and due to Him. You're failing to do these things. You can answer the questions right, but you don't do the things that you were told to do. So you dishonor Him in every way. When the king invites you to his, to his son's wedding, you mistreat his servants and treat him with contempt. You're not giving to God what belongs to God. All the last four days, every one of these lessons comes down to the same thing. This is that we're withholding, you're withholding, and not you personally, but <laughs> Jesus is saying you, leaders of the Jews, are withholding what rightly belongs to him. You're keeping everything for yourself, and, and that's what's going on here, is, is that, that they want the people to follow them. And so they're withholding that from the Lord. And it's the same, it can be absolutely the same in the church when, when we spend all our money on, on salaries and maintenance of buildings and we fail to support mission work and we fail to help the poor. That, that's a serious problem in the church. We're withholding it. And especially when you get to churches that no longer even preach the gospel that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. These are things that, that Jesus has to say to the church today. These are not just things he said to the Jewish leaders of the day. And I said this several times. We know this because, well, we can read the first three chapters of the book of the Revelation and see the letters to the churches. 
Jesus said harsh things to those churches, some of which were under extreme persecution where they were. And they were in the midst of the most pagan places in the world, and yet they were still accountable for what they'd been given, which was typically the spirit of the living God among them. It's important to us that if we take the name of Jesus, that we render our lives to him. And that's exactly what Paul's going to say here in this passage today from Romans. So then, brothers, we're debtors. We owe things to God, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. <clears throat> it's, it's as simple as that. You're debtors, not to the flesh, but to God who has redeemed you, has saved you, and has given you eternal life and made you his child. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And that's what John says in 1 John 5 when, when he says that, that perfect love casts out fear. So that you need no longer be fear of judgment. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. That, that's a completely different spirit than the spirit of one who fears being under judgment. We know that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us, and we know that He loves us not just because He said so, but because He sent His Son to die for us on the cross. That, that's the most important statement of love He could ever make, and He expects us to love in the same way, not just by words, but in truth and in deed. <clears throat> but we have that spirit in us that cries, Abba, Father. And we're to be children of God in the same way that Jesus was. We're intended to display his glory. We're intended to make him known to the world in all that we do and all that we say. I, I don't do all that well with that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There are plenty of times when I'm a failure at that. But, but it doesn't mean that I'm a failure. It means I failed. And it means that I can go to that cross and I can confess that sin of failing. And I can say again, thank you, Father, for forgiveness. Thank you for the cross. He says, the Spirit of himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We know that deep within us is what Paul's saying. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified in him. And it's important that, that we not seek out suffering, but that we not run from it either. Because the, one of the ways we can run from it is to say, well, it would be pretty unpopular here, and people might think less of me if I say this or if I do this in this circumstance, and therefore I'll just keep my mouth shut and I'll be quiet over here, rather than suffer for the truth. And that's the important thing for us, is, is that, that we are intended to be truth-tellers, come what may. That's not always easy, and it is certainly not a way to always be popular. There are things that, that I say in this podcast that, I, that I've had to say because it comes up in the lessons, in the Word of God, that I have to say things that make me unpopular, right? Because it, the, the world wants to tell you a different story. And so when I tell you that these things are forbidden by God, then, well, you know, that compromises my ability to talk to you if you get upset about that. That's not my problem. I've told you the truth. That's my responsibility. Same as Balaam. Balaam is responsible for, for faithfully and truthfully 
saying what God gave him to say. We have no lesser responsibility than Balaam did. And no matter what the price, Balaam knew that it would cost him his life if he didn't speak the truth. It cost him honor and riches not to. He considered his life to be more valuable than those things, and so he chose to speak the truth of God and keep his life. Now, we have a different thing laying before us. We can speak the truth of God and keep eternal life. There's a lot more at stake for us in speaking the truth and speaking lies and being afraid to speak the truth. We have to agree with God. The words that God has spoken, the words that have been given to us, we don't have the right to manipulate those words or to deny those things. It's important that we maintain faithfulness with God because in that way, he maintains faithfulness with us and we continue to enjoy his presence through the Holy Spirit in our lives.